before we get there, I want to start in the beginning. So Joshua has assembled all the, all the tribes here in 24 verse 1, and he starts off uh, speaking to them. And he's speaking prophetically, just like with any of the other prophets in the Old Testament. Whenever they're speaking prophetically, they usually start with, you know, this is what the Lord says. And so sure enough, here's Joshua in verse 2 saying, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I'm not going to read that whole chunk of 1 through 13 uh, all the way through yet, but there's something really interesting that I want to point out. Um, Joshua, the Lord speaking through Joshua, makes it very clear that God is the main character in this section here, as Joshua is outlining the entire history of Israel. Because he goes through, you know, in this next 11 or so verses, he goes through the whole history of, you know, Abraham being brought out and brought to Canaan, of uh, Isaac and Jacob, of Moses and Aaron being sent to bring the people out, and the Lord bringing the people out with Exodus, um, their time in the desert, uh, and their time conquering the land, um, really up until that very day. And it's really interesting how uh, God makes it very, very clear that he is the main character here. And you're probably thinking, like, yeah, it's the Bible. Like, we know God's the main character. But he, he makes it extra, extra clear here that God is the one doing all the providing. So if you look at, I'm going to go through pretty much all of the verbs. I know, grammar, you're not back in school yet. You didn't want to hear about grammar, but we're going to. Um, all of these verbs here are about God. So you have in verse 3, But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians. But what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea. And it flips to third person here for a little bit. and goes, he put the darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. Flips back to first person. Um, you saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. I brought you to the land of the Amorites. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you. And then, um, but I would not listen to Balaam. So he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. And then coming up uh, across the tribes, that, the different peoples and nations that they are conquering to take the land. Um, but I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. And then you get to this second half of verse 12, which is really the critical part of this section where he says, You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. So it's, if you haven't figured it out yet, God's being very clear that, like, to the people of Israel, you have no credit in this. You have no leg to stand on to say, yeah, we did that. You know, we conquered these lands. We escaped Egypt. We uh, made it to this land. It's so clear that everything that they have encountered and gone through has been the Lord consistently providing for them that entire time. They have done really very little work, if any at all, in this whole process. Um, and even at the end, being given, you know, so they conquer this land, but then the Lord gives them, like, here's houses ready to go. You don't even have to build them. Here's farms already planted. You don't have to worry about doing all of that startup work. It's already here. Here you go. Um, and so we can look at this summer, for us, in our own world, this summer, where we had every event that we planned. Every youth event happened. We didn't have to cancel any of them. We had 
uh, we went to camp, like Isabel had said, we sent a, gr a group of our girls to camp on like almost no notice. Like we, re we discovered that we could send people to camp, like what was it, a week, maybe a week and a half before we actually like sent them in the cars to go. Like it was still able to all happen. We were still able to have um, things like D now that we had this weekend, even with things starting to get you know a little heated up again. Um, we were able to have kids camp down there in that little amphitheater and have all of our third through sixth graders there to get to talk about who the Lord is and how do we persevere in our faith. Um, we had no injuries, and some of you are like, weren't you supposed to have no injuries? Yes, of course, but like when you have a lake day and when you have a watermelon brawl and you have all of these other events, uh, things happen and nobody got hurt this whole summer, which is a wonderful blessing. Uh, <laughs> uh, we had nobody get COVID. None of our kids got COVID this summer, which is amazing and we are so thankful for it. And so we get to see like, look at all of these things, just like Joshua you know, through the, you know, the Lord through Joshua is saying, look at all these things that I've done. We're able to sit here and say, look at all the things that the Lord has done for us this summer. And so then we go into uh, verse 14 and 15. And Joshua, now speaking for himself, says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And so there's this, there's this quiet part that is said out loud here because this whole chunk of the Old Testament of Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, there's this whole question of who is Israel's king. And so in this moment, Joshua is putting that on full blast of who is going to be your king moving forward here. And he calls it out. He says, listen, like, if you're not feeling this, if this is undesirable to you, if this is not what you want, make your choice. If you want to go back to the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, if you want to pretend that God never even called Abraham and you want to just go back to that, make your choice. If you want that to be your king, choose it. Or the god of the Amorites, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. If you want to pretend you got here on your own two feet and you want to be just like the people around you, make your choice. Choose who you are going to serve as your king. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And you get the people's response here, which is really cool. It says, verse 16, Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. And if you've read much of the Old Testament leading up to this point, you finally, it's like, you finally get it. Like you understand what's happening. You understand who's your, who your king is supposed to be. You are not like your parents who uh, heard the Lord give them the Ten Commandments and then a month later built an idol because frankly Moses was just taking too long to get back to them. And so you're like, oh, here we go. Like, finally, they're going to get it. It's going to go well. And then you get to verse 19. And Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods. He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. 
Because the people here are looking at just, they're just saying, yeah, like we're going to do it. And Joshua brings up a very important criticism and concern where he says, yes, you like, that's great that you want to serve the Lord, but you are people. This is a holy God. You are people and your people have a history. You have a history of turning away from the Lord right after committing to him. You have a history of being given these lavish gifts and immediately wanting to return them. You have this history of being led out of Egypt and immediately saying, oh, we're going to die. You should have just left us to stay there. You have a history of rejecting the Lord and not being able to follow through with these things. And so uh, the people's response to this is very interesting. Verse 21 says, But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. And it's interesting because they don't actually address Joshua's concern. At no point do they acknowledge, like, hmm, we do have a history. Like, yeah, like, we've had some problems in the past. We should, uh, we should have some kind of safeguard about this. We should consider how to keep ourselves from turning into our parents uh, in this sense. We should keep ourselves from these habits that our ancestors have fallen into. Um, there's no consideration there. There's no uh, wonder of like, oh, well, if he's saying that we can't do this, like, how are we going to do it? It says, no, we're, we're, we got this. We're going to serve the Lord. It's fine. We'll, we got this. It'll be okay. Um, it reminds me a lot of Peter, actually, in the New Testament. Um, and Jesus is talking with Peter, and, uh, you know, Jesus is like, yeah, you're, you're going to betray me. And Peter's like, no, I'm never going to do that. You're, you're going to deny me. I'm never going to do that. And then you turn the page, and he does. Um, and if you look, the people here don't fare much better. If you summarize this passage with verse 21 here, that the people saying, no, we will serve the Lord, you can turn a page over to the book of Judges, and you can summarize that entire book by the phrase, and then they didn't, because they didn't. Um, they make it about a generation, and then their kids look over and say, hey, that's a cool rock. Just go worship that. Hey, look, there's your neighbors. They're doing that weird thing that they do over there, but it looks fun. Let's try that. And they immediately abandon the Lord. And they fail to be able to serve him. And so just like us, because just like us, they're entering this human history in which God's actions are repeatedly met with an inability to maintain obedience. They, instead of addressing the problems and concerns that they should be addressing, that Joshua is mentioning to them, is bringing up to them saying, hey, like, this is wonderful. You want to serve the Lord. How are you going to stop yourself from forgetting? How are you going to stop yourself from moving away from? Instead, they just move on. They just say, yeah, we've got this. And Joshua is not the only person who thought this. If you flip over, not, not right now, but if you look over later at Deuteronomy 6, um, Moses talks about this too. And he's like, hey, like almost word for word uh, comparison to verse 13 where he says, hey, like when you get to the land and the Lord gives you these cities that you did not build, and these, you know, these lands, these farms, these crops that you did not plant, don't forget the Lord. So this, is, this is a long time coming. They knew that they should have known, at least, that this would be a concern. They should have known by their history that this should have been a concern, and they weren't willing to address it. And so they forget, because they don't remember, and don't take the time to remember who their king is. So how do we break this cycle of forgetting what God has done? Because while we can't change the actions of the Israelites, we can certainly change our own. 
So how do we break that cycle? How do we move on from that? Because frankly, we fall into the same thing where we go to camp or church is just really good one, like really extra good one day, or we go to some conference or you read your Bible one day and it just really, uh, as the kids repeat or quote me, it really just hits, um, really gets you. Um, and then 10 minutes later, you're like, okay, what's for lunch? Okay, I've got to get all these things around for work. Okay, my little kid found a permanent marker and the wall is now a canvas. Um, how do we keep ourselves from forgetting? Well, first and foremost, we need to pray because frankly, you can't do it otherwise. Um, we say all the time, like, you know, you can't even take a breath without the Lord giving that to you. And we say that so much, it's become a little cliche, but I'm serious. You cannot take a breath without the Lord giving that to you. You cannot even pray well without the Lord giving that to you. You cannot, you know, the, the band comes up here and they worship, and they sound great, and y'all sing, and y'all sound great. But you can't worship well without the Lord giving that to you. And let me rephrase, you cannot even worship well without the Lord giving that to you. Even that small thing of singing and having your heart in that, you can't do it without the Lord giving that to you. You cannot even read your Bible well without the Lord giving that to you. And that's not an excuse to say, oh, I read my Bible today or I worshiped today and, you know, my heart really wasn't in it. You know, the Lord must have just not felt like giving that to me today. No. Pray for that. Because he gives abundantly. He gives abundantly in answer to that prayer. And if your heart, if the Spirit is nudging you that you might have a concern or a problem with that, that is him already giving you without even asking. That is already the start of that without you even having to ask. So pray, because you cannot do it otherwise. The other thing, so that you don't forget, is to remember. That seems like, you know, no, duh, Riley. Like, if I don't want to forget, I should remember things. But I'm serious. Write things down if you have to. If that means you're setting an alarm or a reminder on your phone to remind you of something. If that means you have a note in your phone or written down somewhere of all the things every time that the Lord does something for you so that you have this long list to look back on. Here's Joshua in this whole beginning of this chapter recounting all of the history of Israel and look at all of the things that the Lord has done and the people are immediately like, that makes sense, we're going to serve the Lord. And they're like, they get it and they're swept up in this whole moment and then they forget because they've stopped looking back at their history. They stop looking back at what the Lord has done for them. So write these things down. Um, things like uh, we had, so we were asked as a youth group, as a student ministries, uh, to water and take care of the prayer garden. Uh, students, how many times do we water the prayer garden? No. None. Not a single time. And some of you are like, oh, great. Riley wasn't doing his job here. But we didn't water the prayer garden because it rained every week. And I actually, I didn't notice until a couple of weeks in. And I was like, oh no, I forgot to water the prayer garden. Like, it's like Thursday now, like, oh man. And I was like, wait, it already rained like yesterday. And I stopped and I was like, wait, it's rained every week. Like every week when I've been like, oh, I need to water, the, like we need to make sure we do that. It's already rained. And it was such, it's such a small thing for the Lord to provide. I mean, it's, it only takes, what, 20 minutes or so to, you know, drag out the hose and go water the prayer garden. But that little provision and that little, like, I've got this. I've got that taken care of. Small things like uh, having our kids camp where we were 
down there in the amphitheater talking about uh, some song lyrics, some worship song lyrics, um, and talking about uh, one of the lines, and it talks about the wind, uh, God's wind and mercy. And so I mentioned how wind in the Old and New Testament, that word is the same word that we use to talk about God's spirit. And how just like with the wind, that you cannot physically see it, but you can feel it and you can see it going through the trees, so the same with the Holy Spirit, that you can feel it and you can see it in other people. And as I'm saying this, the wind starts cutting through that little amphitheater. And I was going to say something about it, and then one of your kids beat me to it. And they raised their hand, they're like, just like right now, with the wind. And I'm like, exactly. And I stopped right there, I was like, thank you, God. Like, that was such perfect timing, like, awesome. Um, but those small little blessings, those little reminders, between those ones and the big ones, and the big questions that you have that are answered, um, and the big miracles and you know, things where God just puts everything together that you get to see, remember these things. Our other one, preaching to the gospel, preaching the gospel to yourself every day. Isabel had mentioned we've been going through this book with our students, A Gospel Primer for Christians. Um, and what we love about this book is that it is all about the concept that you never get past the gospel. You never graduate to some like gospel two class or something. You never get past that moment. You are always held captive to the gospel. And so how does this, this whole focus of this book that we've been going through with them is how do we take this, this uh, message that we have? How does this affect our lives beyond just, okay, I'm saved and now when I die, I get to be in heaven. And so we get to look at like, okay, like now because I know that I'm forgiven, when I encounter temptation and sin, I can remember and can actually view these rules that God has set, these regulations that God has set as helpful for me instead of just keeping me from doing something that I want to do. How we can view when we are in a moment of wondering, like, why do I not have what I feel like I should have? Why do I not have enough? Why do I not have these things that I want? That we can remember that anything less than a full dose of God's wrath is a blessing that we don't deserve. And that we, in fact, get the opposite. Even if we just got nothing, that would be a blessing that we didn't deserve because it's not the wrath that we do deserve. But instead, we get this full, overflowing blessing um, and that reminder that everything that we have is a gift. Preach the gospel to yourself every day so that you don't forget it. And there's one last thing that I'm going to mention. Um, that Jesus was concerned with this as well. He's seen the people. He knew what was happening with the Israelites in the Old Testament. He was there for all of these things. And so, on the night that he's betrayed, he gives us communion. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And we've got our cool little altar with our little you know, wording on it. It says in Old English, this do in remembrance of me. But for real, like, do this to remember. Do this so that you don't forget. Do this because you're going to get busy. And you're going to stop remembering. So do this so that you can avoid that. Do this so that you don't end up like the Israelites who just said, yeah, we've got this, we're going to serve the Lord, and then they don't because they didn't bother to remember. Do this in remembrance of me. So my prayer for you is this, to remember the Lord and what he's done 
before you, to hold on to the truths that he has taught you, and to keep your eyes peeled to avoid forgetting, but most importantly, to rely on the Lord, because again, you can do none of this without him. You can't even take a breath without him. So, as we close, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this wonderful morning that you've given us, this wonderful summer that you have given us, full of events and uh, great questions, great study, um, and reminders of your glory and your power. Lord, I ask that you would keep yourself on our minds and on our hearts, that we would remember what you have done for us, that we would hold on to the truths that you have taught us, and that we would keep our eyes peeled to avoid forgetting you, but that most importantly, that we would rely on you, that you would teach us to rely on you, that you would place us in positions where we would not be able to do anything else but rely on you, that we would be forced to remember what you've done for us. Lord, I ask that you bless all of these families um, as me and Isabel leave and go back to Ohio, um, that you would bless them to grow in you and in who you are, that they would teach each other and be examples to each other, that they would learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Every month we, uh, we gather together and we, uh, we take communion together. And indeed we do it to remember. And we say, this do in remembrance of me with Christ, who, who, who commands this of us. And so uh, this morning, uh, if I could add one thing to Riley's great list uh, of how to remember, it it's, it kind of starts actually not with the whirlwind, uh, but it starts with that silence. And I want to give us a moment uh, where we pause, or where we slow down, and we reflect on God's goodness in our own lives. We reflect on the ways in which we need God's uh, redemption in our own lives, and we prepare ourselves to take the elements. Let's do that now. Father in heaven, we bow our heads now because Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit for us. We bring to this altar our sin and our failures and in the the ways in which we've let you down and the way we've let uh, our friends and our family down. And God, your, uh, your mercy covers all of that. God, what we take here, the bread, 
and the juice. God, it is a gift from heaven, a gift straight from you. It is your mercy poured out upon us. And so we bow in reverence, and we bow in respect, and in awe, and in adoration for the person of Christ, and the words of Christ, and most, the cross of Christ. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit afresh, that our worship in this moment will bring true honor to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and genuine consolation to our souls. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, the body of Christ broken for you. Way. Also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The blood of Christ shed for you. Let us bow together. Jesus Christ, we come this morning giving you thanks and honor and glory because of what you have given to us. You have given your very self. And Lord, we do not take that gift lightly. And Lord, in return, as we remember you and what you did for us, we in return give ourselves back over to you. And we give our lives to you. And we say that you are our king. And we say that, yes, it is you whom we will serve. And tomorrow we will wake up and we will say the same thing. It is you whom we will serve. And on Tuesday, we will wake up and we will say the same thing. We will serve you, Lord. May this be our prayer together. Amen. Let's stand.